1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, you should love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Uh, if you study scripture, and, and again, you, you go to John 14, and we've walked through that before, when Jesus says, trust in God, trust also in me and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go there now to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, surely I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. And we, we've talked about the fact that was a Jewish marriage custom. Uh, when, you, when you study scripture in totality, what you find out very, very, very quickly is that the church is of intrinsic value to God. The church is, is really, really important to God. It's of much importance, so much so that, that Jesus, according to Scripture, laid down his life for the church. Now, don't, don't mistake me, he laid down his life for you. We just read that First John 3.16, but, but you collectively... He laid down his life. He laid down his life for, for, for the church. And because that's the case, the church uh, must be important to us as followers of Christ. It was a big deal to him. It's got to be a big deal to us as well. And so we, we, we've got, uh, in order to do that, I believe, we've, we've got to uh, understand the great importance to God if it's going to be of great importance to us. And in order to understand the great importance to God, we have to really know what the church is. And I think that's lying at the heart of maybe what's holding us back a little bit. And so this morning, that, that's our question that we're going to seek to answer. What is the church? What is the church? Now, I, I wish, friends, that we could just turn to one verse and we could write down and God gave us just, well, here's the definition of the church. There it is. We could highlight it in our Bible and memorize it and go live by it. But God didn't really make it that easy for us. Instead of giving us a definition, God paints pictures for us. You know, you've heard that saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. This morning, God's going to paint six pictures for us of what the church is. And so I'm not sure, I'm not great at math, but I think that's about 6,000 words uh, worth of, of what the church is and why the church is important. I want to walk you through these images this morning. We'll try to make it all in time. If not, you'll just be here through Sunday school. So deal with it. Uh, joking, joking. Here we go, number one. So we study scripture, the first thing we see is that the church is a building. The church is a building. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, if you don't mind. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to read scripture with each of these uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 19. And I'm going to read on through verse 22. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, you might want to underline that, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the church is a building. It's just not the kind of building that you think of. 
It's not the kind of building with actual brick and actual mortar. You see, though, our church does have a physical address. We currently reside at 205 West 2nd Street, though we just closed on the land uh, over the holidays, and at some point we believe we'll reside at another address. Uh, the, the, the church is a building, but it's not the kind of building that you think of. Rather, Scripture says that the church is a, is a greater building project. It's a, it's a spiritual building that God has been working on for thousands of years. God says that the foundation of that building is His Word. It's, it, it, it's the apostles and the prophets. Another way to put that, according to the Apostle Paul, would be that its foundation is Jesus Himself, who is the Word of God, right? How do these men write these words? They got them from, from the Word Himself, whom is Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the foundation. It also says in Scripture that Jesus is the cornerstone. And that's an interesting topic that we don't fully understand. Some think the cornerstone was set on top, but others believe the cornerstone was actually actually a huge part of the foundation, and it was the stone by which everything was made right. It was the stone by which all the walls were, 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 were right and straight. It's the, the most important stone in all of the building. The whole building is truly held together. It's plumb, it's square, it's right because of the cornerstone. And the Bible says that that's who Jesus is, and then we go forth from that, and it says, then you and I are really just the materials. We're, we're, we're the bricks. This should sound familiar to you, by the way, if you're a member of the church. We've walked through this before, that, that uh, the Bible's our foundation, Christ is our architect, and we're just the materials. But I want you to see that that truly is the, the portrait of, of the church. And when we talk about materials, there's a word that I like even better than bricks. It's the word stones, and I like it because of the imagery you think about the, the craftsmanship that goes into great stonework. Listen to what Peter says. This is First Peter 2, 4, and 5. He says, as you come to Him, the living stone, that's, that's, that's Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And so here's the imagery that the church of God is indeed a building and that you are part of the materials that God is using and, and you're, you're a stone that God is, is, is taking and building and crafting into this great spiritual house that brings Him glory. And that's kind of interesting. James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite commentators, uh, takes this thought and he jumps off from 1 Peter and this living stones and, and, and this Ephesians 2 passage talking about God building a spiritual house and he makes some great observations about the stones. I wanted to share them with you this morning. We've got a lot to cover, but I thought this was so good I couldn't leave it out. And this is what he says. He says, first, you need to understand that the stones, I think we have these, right? Yeah, the, the stones are all unique. That's, that's why we didn't say bricks, you know. Bricks are all made to look identical. But that's not really what the house of God is about, is it, right? It's a, it's a building project in which God uses these stones. And they're all precious and they're all unique. And they're all designed to go in just a particular place, right? It's, it's pretty cool. So we're all shapes, we're all sizes, we're all colors from all different backgrounds. And God has equipped each of us with different spiritual gifts. And, and, and that's because that's God's intent to build this glorious building that brings glory to Himself by using all of these different materials from all kinds of different backgrounds. It's glorious when you think about it. Secondly, you need to understand that, that the stones are all placed exactly where they need to be by God. You know, you can, 
You can moan and wail that you don't have every spiritual gift known to man. I used to do that. I was so upset. I have, I've always had great friends in ministry that are so stinking talented. I mean, guys that could, you know, take a rubber band and write a symphony. Uh, you know, I mean, I've just been, from my very first stop in ministry, had an amazing worship leader, and everywhere I went, there was always great musicians to be around. And, and, and I was just so stinking jealous. When you hear these men grab a guitar and they start singing, you're like, oh. Oh, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. And finally, one day, one of my friends, you know, looked at me. And he said, listen, man, you need to be so comfortable in what you do, because I'm telling you, God uses you in what you do. He uses you in what you do. He uses me in what I do. We, we've got to be who God has created us to be and serve the purpose by which he's called us to be. You know, that's really the portrait is that God's building us into this great spiritual building. He's been building this building for thousands of years. And you get to play a role in it. And I get to play a role in it. And our roles aren't the same. Right. Some of us are, are, are used to frame out a, a maybe a beautiful stained glass window and others are down at the bottom having to bear the weight of the rest of the wall. But the point is, God uses each of us. He's placed us where we are on purpose and he's gifted us the way that he has just on purpose. And here's that third one. I, I want you to see, you know, all the stones are linked together. Don't forget that. We kind of live in a way we live in a culture that wants us to believe that it's just about us. Right. And that's even worked its way into our spiritual life. We honestly have convinced ourselves that our sin only affects us. But friend, you're linked together in a long line and you may not see the stone that's 17, 18, 200 stones away. But I promise you that you affect that stone. You affect its ability to give God glory. We don't think about that enough, that collectively we're only as strong as we are individually. Right. But we're all linked together. It's a big deal. Here's fourth thing. He says, he says, you know, the stones are never placed to draw attention to themselves. You know, it says stones. It doesn't say boulders. <laughs> you like living boulders. Are, no, you're just a stone. You're just one and many make up a great big wall. And then the wall is joined together. And then the walls grow up in Jesus. And the point is that no stone is greater than the other. They each serve a purpose. That's what the Bible would talk about when it says that we're all members of one body, right? Um, I like to tell people I'm kind of the pinky toe. I'm the one that can't constantly slams itself into a chair and breaks itself and is bruised and ugly and nasty and twisted. That's me because uh, I'm an idiot. You know, I, I, can't, I know the grace of God. I keep walking in my own way often and, and, and just God just bam, 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 just to say, hey, there's a chair there, buddy. I tried to tell you. Turn on the light. Five. The stones are a part of a building that God began thousands of years ago and will continue until the Lord returns. Um, you know, guys, we're, 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 we're a part. We're standing on the backs of the saints. You know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Uh, that's the portrait. We're literally standing on the work of saints that have come before and there will be people that stand upon the work that you Complete and that you finish. It's kind of a big deal. It's a humbling thought. Isn't that a humbling thought? The church is a building. That's the first portrait. That's the first snapshot. The church is a building. It's of it's a building of God and it's a building for God. Number two, I want you to see this morning that the church is also a body. Church is also a body. Ephesians chapter four 
I'm going to read 11 through 16. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. The church is a body. And as such, it's meant to be living. It's meant to be growing it's meant to be maturing. You think about the body. I, I Hope and I were talking last night. Caleb came in and, and he was the last one asleep. You know, he was the first one in bed, but he was the last one asleep and wanted to come in. And I'd promised him and read a story. And sure enough, God had just laid that on me. I was like, okay, yes, I promise. Crawl up in daddy's lap. Crawls up in my lap. I'm reading him Curious George. And Hope goes, have you seen his feet? I'm thinking they're dirty or something. She goes, they're huge. Our little baby boy's feet are massive. When did this happen? What's going on? He's growing. He's growing because that's what bodies do. Bodies grow and they age and they mature. And that's part of the the process. That's what they're meant to do. And, And friends, this is one of the great and primary purposes of the church. It's to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body might be built up, so that it might grow, so that it might mature in the faith. That's what the church is here for. And, and it means that there's, this is an act of cooperation between you and between us. And it means that we, we come together and, and, and we teach and we listen and we learn and we share why we do all those things so that we might be built up. You say, why is church attendance important? Why is it important that I be in a small group or a Sunday school class? Because I'm just going to tell you, the chances are, if you're not, then the chances are you're probably not maturing, you're probably not growing in Christ the way that you could be or should be. I know far far too many people that have their name on a church roll and have for years, but they've never actually grown in their faith because... Being faithful attenders of church and being involved in discipleship have never been important to them. And so despite the fact that they have been members of church for years, the truth is they are still infants being tossed back and forth by every wind and wave of life. They're still taking in spiritual milk when the truth is they should have been consuming food all along and they should actually be teaching others but they're not because they themselves have never committed to being taught. See, the church is a body. It's meant for growth. It's meant for maturity. And I would just simply say to you, if, if you're not growing in your faith, if you're not mature, uh, maturing in your faith, then something's probably desperately wrong in your walk with Jesus. Number three, uh, Scripture would tell us that the church is a family. That the church is a family. Back to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.19. We read it a second ago. I want to highlight it now. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. I like that last phrase. You might want to underline that. 
You've got to understand this in context of the entire chapter of Ephesians 2. I encourage you to go back and reread it. Here's what you find according to Ephesians 2. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were enemies of God. We were objects of God's wrath. We were separate from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship. We were foreigners and aliens to the covenants of God. We were without hope and without God. We were far away. That's the picture it paints. But in Christ, according to the same chapter, Ephesians 2, in Christ we've been made alive. In Christ we have been brought near. In Christ we are now at peace with God. We are no longer foreigners or aliens, but rather we are citizens with God's people. That's huge. But even bigger than being a citizen of the kingdom of God is that next phrase. It's being members of God's household. The Bible says that you and I are now members of God's household. And here's what transpired. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him at night. Lord, what must I I, I do to inherit this eternal life? And he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Freaks Nicodemus out a little bit, says, I don't want to go back up inside a mom. And Jesus says, no, no, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You've got to be born of the spirit of God, Nicodemus. And what happens to us, friends, when we pray to receive Jesus Christ, when we come to an end of ourselves and we cry out, Jesus, save me. Right. That's what Jesus means. God, save me. When we cry out, Jesus, save me. What happens is something amazing. The spirit of God actually comes in. Inside of us. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells inside of you. And at that moment, Romans 8, 15, at that very moment, you are, you are not just born again, but you are actually adopted into the family of God. It's a spirit of adoption. That's what happens. You actually become a full-fledged member of the family of God. You're no longer a stepchild, right? You're no longer in spiritual foster care. Now you, you actually take on the name of God and you are a child of God and with that comes full rights as a child of God you don't no longer do you have to ask well can I open the fridge or could I have some milk or might I have some water no you're my child everything that I have is yours this is my home and it's your home and you have access to everything that I possess you see that's what happens And that's what the church is, guys. The church is a a family of God. You're a member of His family. That's what we are. We are one big, crazy, beautiful, messy family. That's what the church is to the glory of God. And it's important that you know that. It's important that you don't hold yourself back from that. God's intent is not that you would withhold yourself from His family, but it's that you would give yourself to it wholly and completely, that you would step into this big, glorious, beautiful mess that we call church. That's what you were intended for. You were made for that kind of relationship. Christ died so that we could be a part of this family. Number four. I want you to understand that the church is also an army. Church is also an army. Ephesians chapter 6. You say, Pastor, we're in Ephesians a lot. We are. Paints a great portrait of what the church is. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. I'll read through 18. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and mighty 
uh, and in His mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We're not just here to love one another. We're not just here to laugh and to play. We're also here to train, to prepare, to dress for battle, and to fight. According to the Word of God, spiritual warfare is real. It is happening. And you may say, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's just because your eyes haven't been opened to it yet. But I promise you that it's going on even now as, as, as we speak. And I, I want to tell you, and this is just a side note, I believe that God is, is doing and is about to do something amazing in our church. And you say, why do you believe that, Pastor? Because I'm going to tell you that, that I'm experiencing and I, I'm seeing all of the signs around. Dude, Satan is, 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 is busy and active is, and is attacking in a way that I have not seen and maybe in my life. I'm telling you, he's, he's bringing his A-game. And, and that's okay, uh, because that, that's, that, that means that something's about to happen, okay? And, and God is in the process of doing something, but you need to understand that this, this thing called spiritual warfare is indeed real, and you are indeed called to, to battle, and I kind of want to show you what it means to have your eyes open to what this is talking about, when it says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spirits and the principalities of this dark world. That is going on, it's going on right now, and it always has been going on, so I want you to see this picture with me. Turn with me to the book of 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, and, and so Somebody that knew what the spiritual warfare was all about was, was a prophet named Elisha. Uh, not, not Elijah, but Elisha. Uh, and, and, and just meet me in 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to read um, verse 8 through 17. Verse 8 through 17. It says, Now, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel... After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such place. The man of God, that's Elisha, by the way, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing by such and such place because the uh, Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers, and he demanded of them, Will you not tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? To which they replied, None of us, my lord, king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. Whew. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. 
Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and he went out early the next morning. Now this is Elisha's servant. I want you to see what's about to happen. His eyes are about to be opened for the first time to spiritual warfare. It says an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, he says to Elisha, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down to strike him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Now, here's the deal. What happened to Elisha's servant is what needs to happen to you and I, and maybe that will happen today. His eyes were open to the truth that all around us there's a spiritual war that is waging. And if you don't think so, then friend, i got to tune you into what's really going on. If you don't think that right now as we speak that there is an eternal war that is waging, and it's waging for men and women's souls, friends, that's exactly what's going on. The enemy is real and the thief wants to steal and kill and to destroy you. That's what he's about. And he'll do anything in his power to kill your witness, to kill your legacy, to make you fall, to make you fail. He's done it to hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of people because they fail to realize that, that it's, it's spiritual warfare. So friend, here's your choice in that warfare. You can either stand alone on your own Because after all, this place isn't important, right? You can go out into the world and you can stand by yourself coming in every third, every fourth, every seventh week to get a little encouragement and going out and facing that battle all alone. That's the picture. That's you. By the way, probably not being dressed in the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Probably don't have the shield of faith that moment when you're out there by yourself. Those things, you probably forgot to get dressed. And you're going into battle unprepared, unarmed, by yourself. Or, or, you can stand with the army of God. You can link arms with the army of God and you can look at the enemy and say, you know what, bring it. And you may take me, but you won't take us because the word of God is true. And in Jesus' name I say to you, the gates of hell shall not overcome this place. And you stand and you say, this is the army of God. That's who I am. I'm a part of the army. And you may hurt me, but you won't kill us. The word of God promises that we'll endure. That's what the church is. The church is the army of God. It's a big deal, friends. It's a big deal. Number five. We're going to make it. Barely. By the hair on somebody else's chinny-chin-chin. The church is a flock. The church is a flock. 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. Let's turn there if you don't mind. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five, verse two. Peter speaking to the young men, to the elders, he says, 
To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, as a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Ah. Friends, the church is, is, is a flock. It's a flock of sheep, and sheep need to be led. And, and uh, I tell you, that's a great, great responsibility. It's absolutely overwhelming. Um, it's humbling. It's difficult. It's a uh, whoo. Uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I, I, I wish everything in me that you had a you had a better pastor, that you had a better example, that you had somebody that had that. The, the ability to, to meet with every family and be in every home and study the word and, and, and do, you know, I, I think the description of a pastor is just overwhelming. Uh, there have been times I, I've just, I've literally just been crushed by it. I've, I've wept in my wife's arms and said, this is, this is too much. And to which the Lord speaks to her heart and she speaks fine. She says, honey, it's supposed to be overwhelming. Whew. Good. Good. <clears throat> but praise God, we, we have a better shepherd. We have Jesus, the good shepherd. And, and, and here's, here's the great promise of Scripture. If we're His, and, and uh, I hope that you are, if we're His, the Bible promises that we'll be able to hear His voice. And that though we're dumb, and that's what sheep are, and though we're difficult, and that's what sheep are, and though we wander and we stray, and that's what sheep do, that no matter where we go, and no matter how we fail and falter, that will hear His voice calling us back. And that will respond. And we'll do that because we are a flock. That's what we are. That's what we are. So I, I just ask you this morning, as the church, as the flock of God, can you hear Him? Have you taken the time lately? I'm going to do, we've got enough time to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. Just, just, I want you to close your eyes just for a second. I want you to think about your own wandering. Just where you are. I just want you to think about your own wandering. I want you to think about how you've wandered. Maybe how you wandered lately. Maybe how you wandered over the last few days. Over the last few hours. Can you hear his voice? Somebody here this morning needs to hear him say, My child, come home. Home. Somebody needs to hear him this morning and say, My child, please stop hiding. I can see it. Just let go of it. Stop trying to cover it up. Maybe somebody this morning needs to hear him say, My son, lift your head. Lift up your head. I have forgiven you. Stop walking around in guilt and shame. Maybe you're here and you need to hear him say, My daughter, I love you. So please start loving yourself. Because you can't love them if you don't love you. I told you to love them as you love you. Please love you. 
You're beautiful. You're significant. I don't make junk. I don't make junk. Friends, we are the flock. It's what the church is. As such, we've got to listen to the Good Shepherd. I pray that you hear His voice this morning. I pray that you respond. Lastly, I want to share with you that the church is a bride. The church is a bride. Uh, Revelation 19. It's the last one there. Revelation 19, last book. Verse 7. Revelation 19. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Friends, that's talking about the church. We are the bride of Christ. I just walked you through John 14 a second ago. And what does the bride do? When, 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 when the groom says, uh, you're going to be mine, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and when I come back, I'm, when, when I'm finished, I'm going to come back, I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. What does the bride do, friends? The bride gets ready. That's what the bride does. The bride crosses all the T's and dots all the I's, and the dress is pressed and ready to go, and the flowers are ready to go, and all the women are on notice, and they're just waiting for that groom to come and to sound that trumpet, and they're going to be running out with joy and excitement in their heart. That's what the bride does. The bride waits and the bride prepares and the bride is living for that moment. Amen. And that's what the church should be doing. And I would just ask you, are you living for that moment? I, I, I thought about little Jamie Krim. Um, I'm going to share some, some news with you. You know, Travis asked Jamie to marry him uh, right before uh, Christmas Eve. And by the way, she said yes, and uh, she's she's off with with family right now. And I, I just I'm picturing her as I'm writing this message yesterday, and I, I think she's just a bundle of nerves, man. She's they're trying to find a date and a place, and and just oh, oh, and and she is now caught up in what it means to be a bride. She is she's anticipating, and she's caught up in the moment, and she can't wait till that crazy man becomes her husband. And woo, good Lord, help us all. And 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 uh, and, and 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 just. I, I remember that because I used to be that stupid man and, and my wife was caught up in that moment of anticipation and the planning and the plotting and the scheming. And friends, that's where we're supposed to be. And I fear, I fear that instead of keeping the lamps trimmed and the oil full and the dress pressed, that maybe we've forgotten that Jesus will indeed come. And that we better be ready. See, that's part of the equation too. We're the bride. We've got to continue to anticipate and to wait and to want. So what do we, what do, we do with all that? I'll give you two things and I'll be quiet. Very straightforward. Number one, I, I hope you can download this. I know there's no sermon notes, but you can go back and get all the notes. will be up tomorrow. Uh, Number one is we realize how important the church is to God. Would you go back and study what we've talked about? Go back and study these verses. The church is of great importance to God. It's of great importance to God, okay? If it's of great importance to God, it's got to be of great importance to us. And that leads to the second thing, ready? Make being a part of the church a priority 
for you and your family. Not once in a while, not once every so often, but this is, this is one of those things that other things have to really, really, really be important to come in the way of this. Okay? Not just coming, not just coming, but I mean, I mean, immersing yourself, getting involved. You're meant to mature in Christ. It's part of this body. Plug into it, connect to it, give yourself to it. If you do, I promise you're not going to regret it. I promise you won't.